So my last drunk, I woke up. It's 7 o'clock and I'm in the driveway. 7 a.m. I open my eyes and the garage door starts to open. There's Amy with a kid in each arm crying as she walked over to my window and she asked, why? Why do you do this? Don't you love us? And all I could think about is I only stopped for two beers. In my heart of hearts, I can't explain my actions. I'm out of control. I don't mean to stay out all night. It just happens. That's when I believed that I was given the gift of desperation. And that was my first step sitting right there in my truck. I believe right then I fully conceded to my innermost self that I was an alcoholic. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Well, hello there, ladies and gents. That was the voice of Dan G that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you will be hearing much, much more from him in just a moment. But first things first, this episode... The one that you are tuned into right now is brought to you by Mr. Michael. You know what Michael did? Michael went to our website, SoberSpeak.com. He clicked on that little donate tab and he made a contribution. Thank you so much, Michael, for helping me to keep the virtual lights on. I sure do appreciate it. And this episode, my friend, is dedicated right to you. All right. So I will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to those of you who will be listening in. Once again, I know there are many things you could be doing with your valuable time, and the fact that you carve out some moments throughout your day to sit here and listen to me and the people that I bring on this podcast, uh, I am much appreciative of. All right, so this one that you're listening to right now is episode 99. We're calling this Alki Dan G. Felony to ministry, and uh, it'll be very obvious uh, why we're why it's called that as you begin listening to this. So this is episode number ninety nine, episode number ninety nine, which is one before the magical number of one hundred. I cannot believe if we happen to release one more episode next week, that will mean that we actually have one hundred episodes on the books. Uh, you know, and I, there are people out there who have done thousands of episodes, and I get it. But for me, it's all been 
one episode at a time. I really did not think I would ever get to this number. You know, it's like sobriety. It really is. It's just like you come into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous or Al-Anon or wherever you come into, and you just say, okay, I'm coming back for one day at a time, and you look back, and all of a sudden, some time is built up, and uh, uh, this has just been an incredible ride with you guys. But nonetheless, this is episode 99, not 100. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. All right. If you're not in the secret Facebook group, and you would like to be, as my friend, by the way, Mr. Dave calls it in the secret Facebook group, the super secret Facebook group, send me your email associated with your Facebook account to John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com, and I will send you an invite to get in there. Keep in mind, there are many amazing, like-minded friends of Bill W., Al-Anon, and other 12-step programs in the Facebook group, and we would love to have you along for the ride. If you're not following me on Instagram, please do such. I'm at at SoberSpeak, all one word. Um... I read all my direct messages, and I love communicating with people on Instagram and uh, uh, building that community. If you have been impacted in a positive way by this podcast, if you would please pause your device and share it with a friend or family member, it may be just exactly what they need for today to get through the day themselves. I would be most appreciative of that. All right, let's talk about Mr. Dan G. In just a moment, we're gonna hear uh, we're gonna hear about Dan's experience with the first step. I think we actually played that on the beginning of this episode. We're gonna talk about Dan's uh, meth habit and the lowly places that it took Dan. Uh, he was a crane operator for many years, and he talks about those experiences. He's gonna take you on a swim through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, and you will find out in the end, well, kind of a spoiler alert here, but I guess I'll do it. Dan was a three-time felon in the state of California, and he was granted a, granted a pardon from the state, from the governor, governor of California. Yay. All right. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome Mr. Alki Dan G. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Mr. Dan G, who has a voice born for podcasts. Can you go ahead and say hello to the audience there, Mr. Dan G? Well, hey, hey, everybody. How you doing? Why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself. I know you like to say Alki, all right? And also give your sobriety date if you would, please. So, hey, everybody. My name's Dan. I'm an Alki. Um, Prosper Country Group's my home group, and my sobriety date is one twenty one oh two. One twenty one oh two. So that's been a little while. What's that? Uh, right at seventeen. Seventeen yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations. Imagine that. Yeah, that's great, Dan yeah. G. Yeah. All right. So, well, first of all, I want to start by asking you. You always introduce yourself as an alky, and I hear very few people that do that. Right? Most yeah. people say alcoholic. It's right? actually in the big book. Yeah. So yeah. that's my question. Yeah. Where does that come from? There was an old friend of mine I sobered up in the Louisville group, and his name was Alky Ray. So <laughs> imagine that I stole it like I stole everything else in here. <laughs> <laughs> but it is in the big book of alcohol. They say Absolutely. alky, right? Yes, sir. Is it in the stories yeah. or the first one sixty four? Do you remember? I couldn't tell you. 
idea, but it's in there. And uh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Alki Dan G is with us here today. All right, Dan. So Dan and I have known each other for probably 10 years or so. At Uh, least, yeah. Yeah, and I know his wife very well, the lovely Miss Amy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan and I have spent a good bit of time together at the Crested Butte Conference in Colorado oh, yeah. that we right. both like to go to. Uh-huh. Um, I know his child, his lovely child. Sydney Joe. Sydney, yeah, yeah, Sydney yeah. Joe, right. Yep. Sometimes we call her Sydney, sometimes we call her Joe. Right? Joe, mainly Joe. Mainly Actually, Joe. I could get in trouble for that. It's <laughs> Joe. <laughs> Yeah. So um, anyway, and, and Dan knows all of my family, so I wanted to bring him in here and have a conversation today. So Dan, as you know, Silver Speak is basically just kind of sitting down with somebody. It's like having a conversation. Uh, we want to talk about you. We want to know about the life of Dan, how you got here, uh, what your recovery's been like, and then we'll take it from there. So why don't you go back to, I guess, the beginning Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about the the small Dan G, if you will. All right, will do, will do. So, you know, usually I start out with this is my story, you know, and uh, if you can't reconcile any of this with the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, talk to your sponsor. And uh, why don't you just go ahead and talk to your sponsor anyway? It's a good day to do that. So, uh, <laughs> you know, and I, so anyways, my story's got a little bit of drugs in it, and, um, you know, uh, with respect to AA, I uh, keep that to a minimum, but uh, that's part of my story, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. So, anyways, I grew up in a small town called Pinole in the San Francisco Bay Area, the East Bay, and uh, I'm the youngest of six. Um, well, I, you were, you had six children there in There were six family. of us, yeah. The oldest was a girl, and the rest of us were boys. Well, yeah. let me ask a very stereotypical, probably non-politically correct question. Are you Catholic? Absolutely. Was born and raised Catholic, but okay. uh, here I am sitting here Baptist. So, <laughs> Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. So you made that switch along the way somewhere, somehow, right? Yeah. Was that after you got sober? It's going to come at the end of the okay, story. Okay, all right. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, no worries. All right. So anyways, my father was a World War II Pearl Harbor survivor. He fought for our great country. Um, and uh, also two of my brothers were in Vietnam. So uh, I was the youngest of six. Like I say, there was um, there was a 13-year gap between my next oldest brother and the, the, the rest of the family. So there was a first family and a second family. Um, so um, anyways, my, my dad was an untreated alcoholic. His father and my great-grandpa, his my grandpa and my great-grandpa were also drinkers. Uh, I heard a story that my great-grandpa froze to death while sitting on a park bench out on the East Coast. Um, when did you ever confirm that? I never did. That was just a story I got from my dad, and, uh, you know, it's I wouldn't doubt it. But know? it does not seem unfathomable. It doesn't seem unfathomable. So, no, and, and, and on my grandpa's death certificate, it said he died of acute alcohol um, uh, poisoning and ammonia really so, yes yes so. so you didn't see that a lot back then they were just attributed to something else that's so. right so he must have been pretty heavy into the sauce understood right? yeah. so that makes me a fourth generation right yeah. so so my, and here we go my mother was a saved catholic okay so that's kind of a strange combination if you know anything about catholicism right a saved catholic. a saved catholic what does yes. that mean well you know she so she was uh she went for jesus as her lord and savior but she was a Catholic. Now, the Catholics don't necessarily do it the way the Baptist-type deal does it. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got so. you. So she kind of combined them together, Yeah, and there was, so a to lot, there was a lot of argument about that in our household when my aunts would come over. You know, the, the, the full-blown 
pure breed Catholic, uh, Catholics. <laughs> right. Yeah. They didn't like that very so much. So she kind of took on the, the born again yes, flavor of being a Catholic, right? Yes. right? Yeah, very yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was. And, uh, so, you know, um, so that was part of it, you know, and, and my mother was a very prayerful person and I believe her prayers carry me and my family to this very day. I really do. She was relentless. Um, so anyways, the way that my family was laid out, there was four kids, right? The 13-year gap, my brother Ted, and two, later, two years later, me. So that means 15 years between me and my next oldest brother. Um, so uh, my mom and dad were older and tireder when I came along that left young Dan poorly supervised. So they had raised their main family, and then they had the two kids, right? And then, so we were kind of running rampant. We kind of did what we wanted. Right? right. They were worn out. They yeah, done yeah. all the discipline Absolutely. with the earlier kids. And yeah. now they're like, let so, them go. So dad was into drinking and mom was into religion. Right. So you could find mom at the church and dad would be at the bar. Right. Very interesting. Yeah. So anyways, I'd like to make it a point to say that my parents were very good people. Uh, they raised me to be a good person uh, with the exception of my dad's alcoholism. He was still a good man and he did the best he could. Um, I had everything I needed growing up and some of the stuff that I wanted. Um, so in my neighborhood I grew up in, I was one of the youngest kids. I ended up learning how to lie, cheat, and steal pretty early um, <laughs> and to get the things that I wanted. You know, the older kids taught me how to lie, and I was a natural, all right? I just took right to it. Uh, <laughs> it's just so. a, a gift from God. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, nothing to it. So around this time was the 70s, you know, the hippie era. Uh, my older brothers were party guys, and uh, you know, remember the beads and all that, you know, and the incense. You're uh, right. Yeah, so you go downstairs, and all that stuff was going on. Um, so, anyways, uh, around the time I was about 13, uh, uh, you know, I started picking up uh, alcohol, uh, and I and I drank alcoholically, and I used drugs like an addict from the gate. I never drank just one beer. It was it was to get hammered or to get high, you know, way out there. Um, so, uh, one time I went over to my brother's house, it was a hot day and this is when that, that thing happened. I was sitting with my brother. It was a hot day. We were taking a little break and he pulled out two ice cold moosehead beers and that beer, when I drank that thing down pretty quick, it did it to me. That's what happened. And that feeling is what I believe that I chased from then on out. Hmm. Um, and you know, my brother didn't mean to do it. It wasn't, it wasn't something that he thought, Oh gee, I'll get my brother hooked up. It was just something that that's how it happened. Um, the Moosehead beer. Absolutely. I remember the Canadian lager, yeah, right? Good stuff. Or is, it, is that a lager? Or is it just a Canadian it was, beer? It was good cold beer that day, you know, and, and I didn't drink it much after that, but it was high power beer too. Right. Now, right. So, um, so anyways, uh, you know, um, Drugs were soon soon introduced, and I liked getting high uh, for fun on the weekends at first, and then uh, it turned into a pretty good habit. Uh, somewhere around this time is when I met Amy. Okay, I've been with her since you know high school. We were high school sweethearts running around. Mm -hmm. um, love hate relationship, right? Right, as kids do. So you've uh, known her for that long? Oh yeah, we were I both. Did not uh, we were that. both altar servers at the same Catholic church. Really? We yes, we were. Yeah. Um, so she went to St. Joseph's School. Uh, which was a private 
Catholic school, and mm-hmm. that's where I went to catechism and did all my stuff. That was my church, but I went to public school. So I didn't get to know her very well until we started hooking up, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, when we were a little bit older. Uh, <laughs> right. She was probably around, I guess, what, 15, you know, old maid, right? <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, uh, you know, this uh, yeah, it's around, you know, 13, uh, 14, 15, you know, 16 years old, um, um, I was uh, I was out boosting a stereo, man. My drug habit was getting pretty heavy, and I had to supply my drug habit. And uh, and I and I'm walking down the street in broad daylight, okay. And I look and I see a stereo in this car, and it's one that I want. Mm-hmm. Right? Now this is on a street with houses on it, and houses have front rooms and windows, you know. And so I'm casing this car in front of all these houses and windows, and uh, I decide I'm going to boost the stereo, you know. So uh, I walk down the street, and then I come back, and I'm ready to do my business. And as soon as I start breaking into this thing, man, the cops show up. And in my opinion at that time, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. You see? If, I, if that cop wouldn't have came down the street, then I wouldn't have got caught, right? So there was this victim mentality that I had. Mm-hmm. And this is something that you're going to hear many times over and over throughout this story that I thought I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay. So anyway, so I got, I got, what kind of drugs were you? It was methamphetamine. It was meth. Yeah. It was, I I was a speed freak. So, So you know, alcohol, pot and speed. Yeah, that was it, man. I was going to, I was going to boost a stereo and go buy some of that stuff, you know? Um, so then, uh, so anyways, I, I turned 16. I got my, uh, I got my license. Uh, within three months I had my first DUI, uh, I wrecked uh, my Delta 88 into a uh, 1984 drop-top GT Mustang <laughs> and a 1984 Mazda RX-7. Uh, the guy parked him kind of in my way in his parking, you know, in his driveway, you know. And when I came sliding around the corner, I took him out. Um, so anyways, uh, <clears throat> I went down the street and, uh, you know, in my opinion, if I'd have made a right instead of a left... Uh, I wouldn't have got caught. But anyways, I pulled up, and this is my 16-year-old thinking. This is where I was at. Pulled over, and I said to my friend John, what do you think we ought to do? He said, let's take it home and cut it up. Mm-hmm. We'll cut this thing up, and we'll put the engine in something else. And I said, yeah, great idea. 16-year-old kid. Wow. Can you imagine? You know, yeah. I can't imagine my kids doing that. You know, mm-hmm. um, So we had a plan, and we took off, and sure enough, the cops caught us. And uh, once again, if I'd have took a right, made a right instead of a left, uh, you know, I probably wouldn't have got caught. You know, it had nothing to do with me being out drunk driving, tearing up the town, causing problems. That was not where my mind was. It was that I got caught. So these two items landed me in the California Youth Authority. Uh, so I was when everybody else was graduating high school, I was locked up. Uh, was anybody else in your family had they ever experienced the you know the penal system in California? Uh, no, not necessarily. No, no, I was that guy. So I was the one. So it was it was all me. I uh, uh, Amy's dad was a cop uh, down in Richmond, uh, oh, wow. and uh, he uh, he thought he had heard of my brothers, but it turned out that I was the only one. <laughs> <laughs> he had heard the name so much, you know. Um, so, anyways, Amy and I's first date. Uh, it was pretty comical. Um, we were out driving around. A friend of ours was driving, and uh, we were drinking. And uh, you know, I, how I, old were you? I think I was probably uh, maybe sixteen, seventeen ish. You know, yeah. and um, so Amy and I, we were um, we we're in the back of the car, and uh, and uh, and I overdid it. You know, I overshot the mark. You know, and uh, 
And I and we're driving along and everything's cool and we're on a date. And I said, you know, you guys got to pull over. And they said, what do you mean? I said, pull over right here. And uh, so they pulled over and uh, I said, I got to get out. <laughs> and so I, I got out of the car and I fell on the ground, you know. And um, they're like, what are you doing? I said, go ahead. See you later. <laughs> you go on without me, you know. And, and they're looking at me like I've lost my mind. But, hey, I had to puke, right? So, um, so there we go. And I think at that point, that's when Amy looked down and she said, that is the guy for me. That's you the know, one. That's the one right there. So, um, it was pretty, pretty good. Uh, so anyways, uh, and that's how I did it. You know, I just, I would drink until, you know, and, 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 and I had somewhere I wanted to get, but I would overshoot the mark and that's early on. Um, so anyways, uh, I got out of, like I say, and that, and that was regressing a little bit, but I got out of the uh, jail when I was 18, uh, 19, and uh, I got a job working in a crane company, and uh, that was to be my only job for the next couple of years. I was in a lot of trouble, and uh, around this time, my best friend Terry was killed on a motorcycle accident. And, uh, you know, I was on a downward spiral, you know, I was in, I was getting well, in a lot of trouble. Best, hold on. Let's talk uh, yeah, about that. Your yeah, best friend, my best friend, Terry. Yeah. We we're, we we're 18 years old. He was down painting his grandma's house and he was on his way home from uh, painting his grandma's house. And he, he, uh, he hit a car and, uh, ended up underneath the tractor and got killed. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, it was tough, you know, and, and I never dealt with that. That was the first time in my life that I'd ever dealt with that. And I remember going home. Uh, I was at home when I got the phone call, and I remember pacing back and forth in the kitchen, and my dad walked in. And, you know, my dad was a Pearl Harbor survivor, so he had dealt with death a lot. And uh, he was an old guy, you know, and he dealt, dealt with death. And uh, and he sat down, and he said, son, what's wrong? I said, dad, I, I, Terry's dead. And he said, so what are you going to do about it? And I said, I don't know. What, what should I do? And he said, there's nothing you can do. And I'll tell you what, I just, I just, there was something I needed to do, but I couldn't do it. You know, there was just nothing, you know, and it was, it was tough, you know, and, uh, right then Terry's mom called me and she said, you know, I know you were his best friend, you know? And so that was tough, you know? Um, so, so that was where I was, you know, and, and, uh, I figured what is life worth? You know, I'm just going to party and run it into the ground, you know? And so that was part of my mindset. So <clears throat> anyways, live, live yeah. fast, die young. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's the way I looked at it. Um, so anyways, I figured there wasn't a whole lot to live for. Um, you know, uh, meth was my new drug of choice and I went from a junkie over the next couple of years to learning how to mass produce methamphetamine. So, uh, you know, pot and alcohol were constant companions. Okay. But now I'm this, uh, I'm in the drug business now. Uh, the drug business had a lot of ups and downs. And You're getting, an entrepreneur. Yeah, huh? I was an entrepreneur. Yeah. So, so let me. I, how do you mass produce meth? I, I was well, never. Well, it's the, a complicated process, but there's uh, there's some stuff to it, and uh, you you know it, it's 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 a pretty bad deal. It's a mess, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have to be dedicated to it, and you gotta you know you gotta you gotta. Uh, round up a lot of different chemicals and and uh it's it's pretty horrible process to see how it goes down and that's just pure poison man nothing about it is good horrible horrible and but you know it's quick easy money for me and i love that stuff you know and and it was um it was where i was at you know um so like i say the drug business had a lot of ups and downs and i started getting busted shootings possessions of drugs uh with guns and, uh, you know, I, I graduated to a level of constantly having a gun on me, you know, and people are dying around me. You know, people who are friends for years are killing each other over this stuff. And uh, and I'm watching it go on. You know, I'm in the middle of it, you know, and um, 
People who are friends for years are killing themselves over drugs. You know, guys who went to high school together, they're having these falling out and shooting each other. And so, you know, what a dark and evil world that is, you know, and, and no wonder why they call that devil devil's dust, right? Mm-hmm. Right? You ever heard that? Mm-hmm. So anyways, Amy and I have this on and off love-hate relationship, right? And uh, I can imagine. You know, so, so we're in, you know, and she's, we're mixed up, you know, and um, one time she got mad at me and did a drive-by and shot up my car. <laughs> I didn't find out about it till really? years later. But yeah, one time we were having this casual conversation. I told her, you know, one time somebody drove by and she said, yeah, that was me. <laughs> and I, I, I go, okay, I get it, you know? So uh, we were so in love. So she was angry we're, at you? Yes, yes, so she yeah. And she's with car? another guy driving by, shooting up my car, you know? And uh so it's pretty comical. Uh, you know, it's comical to look back at, but man, I'll tell you what a sick, mixed up world it is right. living out there. You know what I mean? Living out there in the middle of that mess, you know? Um, so anyways, we were in love. Then she got pregnant. I decided I wanted to be a part of her and her baby's life. Um, we decided we had to be get, be together, and Taylor G. was born, my youngest, or my oldest. Um, you know, she was beautiful, you know, and I started out supporting my family with uh, drug money, you know? I was actually good at making drugs, but the trouble continued, snowballing at this point. A gun on person at all times was mandatory, and now and then I was getting pulled over and the guns were being found. I got busted the good last time with a good bag, uh, big bag of meth and a couple of guns and ammo. Uh, I had a fight with the cops, and it didn't go very well for me. Um, <laughs> once again, I was a victim. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and if they wouldn't have pulled me over, it wouldn't have happened, right? Didn't have anything to do with me using and and doing what I was doing. Um, it's beginning to look like prison's inevitable future for me. You know, San Quentin has a cell with my name on it. And, uh, you know, it just seemed that it was my future. Um, when I got busted that last time, my brother who held my money, he wouldn't bail me out of jail. I had a brother who who held my money and stuff, and he told me he wouldn't help me out no more. He said, this, is, this has gone too far. Um then um you mean he held your he he held yeah I, I would get yeah like yeah i keep it i keep it somewhere safe you know and and uh he and i and i called him up and i said hey man i need some cash to get me out of jail he said i'm not doing it so what do you mean you're not doing it? he said i'm not doing it i'm sick and tired of this you're getting you know you're, you're way far out there you know you need to you need to get right you need to stop this it's it's insane what you're doing um so anyways um uh, Amy's mom and dad found out that I got busted, uh, and they decided they were going to move to Texas. They were going to move to Texas with my daughter, right? Mm. And when they said that, uh, they said, hey, we're going to move to Texas, they called us up and they had a meeting. I didn't know they knew anything about it. Kind of got ambushed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they said, uh, we're moving to Texas. We're taking your daughter with us, and you are more than welcome to come with us if you'd like. Uh, otherwise you can stay here and do whatever you want. That's fine. But your daughter's going with us. And, uh, if you want to be a part of their life, uh, her life, you can come down and start over. And, um, you know, I, I thought about that for a while. I had to think about that, you know, and then I thought, you know what? I decided Texas sounded good. You know, I asked a judge in California. I said, judge, can I go to Texas? And he said, son, do you know what the laws are like in Texas? Because he knew what I was about. Right. And I lied. And I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, go to Texas. Get out of here. I'm tired of looking at you. <laughs> right? And uh, so I, I came to Texas, you know. And the cool thing that happened is I left the drugs out there in California. I left it. I left it behind. I made a geographical location change. Um, it was like 
still being on the Titanic, I just changed seats, right? I went from drugs to alcohol. But it did work for a while. The geographical location changed, and then moving over to drugs, it worked for a while. What year was that? That was in uh, about 95. So uh, I came down here to Texas and went to work framing houses. God placed a Marine drill sergeant in my life to teach me how to work. Uh, his name's Johnny. He's one, of, he's one of my very closest friends. You know, so you see, God had a plan to fix old Dan, you know. And uh, tell you a little bit more about my mentor later. Uh, I worked for a few months then, and I had to go back to California to do a year's time. I remember crying like a baby that I had to leave my family and go take care of my sentence. Uh, when I was released, I came back to Texas and went back to work framing houses. Shortly thereafter, we moved into a duplex in Louisville, and we had our son, William, beautiful boy. He's our one in the middle. And then uh, we had our youngest, Sydney, uh, Joe, I should say. Um, so anyways, uh, you know, there was some friends of ours that lived next door to us and they really helped us in our walk. Uh, they were, they kept inviting us to this church, you know, it was a non-denominational church and, uh, had no idea how much that would impact me, but it really, really did impact me. And they were very good. They were, it was very good to have somebody like that in our lives. Um, so anyways, uh, I went back into the crane business, uh, I framed for a while and then I, I ended up getting back into the uh, crane business, uh, so just so everybody knows, when you say crane business, that means yeah. you're operating a crane. Well, right? at that point, I was, yes, operator, rigger, you know, just anything and everything to do with cranes, erecting them, uh, putting them together, taking them down. There's, you know, there's there's a lot involved in all that stuff. Uh, at that point, I think I was uh, uh, mostly doing material hoists, the material hoists that go up and down the side of the buildings. Right. That's also the crane companies on them and uh, erecting tower cranes. Gotcha. So, yeah. So anyways, but, uh, yeah, it's good living, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, our youngest one, Sydney, uh, she was 13 months old and Amy noticed she was limping and she had been saying for months, something was wrong, you know? And the doctors kept telling Amy, Oh, it's just growing pains. She's just a young kid. It's just growing pains. Uh, and Amy said, no, there's something wrong with her. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. So finally they did, they, they checked her out a little deeper and they found out that she had a tumor on her leg. And uh, they diagnosed her with Ewing's sarcoma cancer, and they told us that she had six weeks to six months to live. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, it was pretty tough, man. I'll tell you what, that was that was an experience. Um, so, uh, you know, around this time, like I say, that non-denominational church, Amy's attending. She's starting to get – Amy's really starting to get plugged in. A lot of prayers, a lot of stuff going on. We're kind of this, – this thing's happening that God's working in our lives. And I don't see it yet because I'm still drinking. But it's happening. You know what I mean? This thing's happening. Is Amy drinking at this time Amy, as well? Uh, I'd say a little bit, but Amy's never been an alcoholic okay, like right. me. She was an addict, and she, she wasn't using drugs gotcha. at that point. She was, uh, you know, and um, but, um, you know, she's not like me. You know, she's not, not like that. Um, so anyways, uh, um, they were doing a uh, – and her, her mom's a, a – uh, got us the best doctor that money could buy. You know, her mom, you know, handpicked this person because her mom's a, one of the administrators at a hospital or used to be. And uh, we had this guy and he was a great doctor. And, you know, he, 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 he we had the best of the best, right? Well, we're in this room getting this uh, CAT scan done. The lady keeps sticking her hand out and giving us a thumbs up. You know, we're like, what's going on? You know, anyways, um, the, the, the tumor it turned out that, uh, uh, to our amazement, the, the tumor was a bone infection, and uh, Sydney had a bone infection in her hip, oh. and so uh, there was something that happened there, and I believe 
that was the first time I noticed the hand of God working in my life, and I believed that my daughter was healed. And you can, you know, I, I absolutely believe it. Um, and that was amazing, you know, the hand of God working in my life. Um, Let me just pause here a little bit, and we're going to get right back into that. So we'll be continuing our conversation with Dan G. in just a moment. Please remember... You were, or just a reminder, you are listening to SoberSpeak.com. You can find us on the web at www.SoberSpeak.com. There you can find also the uh, donate button on our website if you wish to use it. And if and only if the Spirit moves you to do such, please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. SoberSpeak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Mr. Dan G. So this is the first time that from from your perspective, you're seeing the hand of God working in your family's life. Take me from there. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm not saying that God hadn't been working in my life the whole time, but there's this thing that happened somewhere along the line where we we start seeing this. And, and, you know, I can't say that I saw it then, like, oh, you know, uh, something happened. I couldn't explain it. Here, after being sober for a while, I look back, I can clearly see it. We get to see God in the rearview mirror easily. So anyways, um, yeah, I'm still drinking. But another big event happened around that time, and that was Mm 9-11. And I remember thinking to myself, God, if you took me right now, I'm not ready. The drinking was getting out of control. I'm staying out a couple of few times a week. A married man with a family. Um you know, and I had about enough. You know, Amy had about enough, and she threatened to move out to her parents. I figured I'd try out AA. So, and I can say she was encouraging me. <laughs> Something had to change. So I went to meetings for about 45 days and did not drink. Uh, the problem was I didn't get a sponsor. I didn't work the steps. So I was a dry drunk. I was an untreated alcoholic. So was this like in, so this is not 2002 yet, right? This yeah, is before Maybe 2001, 9-11 okay, happened, so, right, oh, right yeah, around yeah, in there. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, right around in there. So um, so I had 45 days. I wasn't working, wasn't sponsored or wasn't, you know, I was just sitting listening to meetings. Uh, we went out of town to do a couple cranes, and uh, it took me six months. I ended up getting drunk, and it took me six months to get back into AA during this time. I tried drinking only at home, not drinking during business hours, never drinking alone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? We've heard that somewhere, right? Yes. So anyways, um, Alcoholics Anonymous really messed up my drinking, you know? I can honestly say that. Um, so my last drunk, I woke up. It's 7 o'clock, and I'm in the driveway, 7 a.m. I open my eyes, and the garage door starts to open. There's Amy with a kid in each arm crying as she walked over to my window, and she asked why. Why do you do this? Don't you love us? And all I could think about is I only stopped for two beers. In my heart of hearts, I can't explain my actions. I'm out of control. I don't mean to stay out all night. It just happens. That's when I believed that I was given the gift of desperation. And that was my first step sitting right there in my truck. I believe right then I fully conceded to my innermost self that I was an alcoholic. I had the realization that I'm powerless and my life is unmanageable. And I fully, that, that was where it happened for me. Um, and I've been a student of this program ever since. Um, I walked into Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, there was something going on behind the scenes. Like I say, Amy had been praying a very powerful prayer for about a month that a friend of hers uh, had given her from church. 
And um, apparently it's a very powerful prayer, uh, apparently, right? I walked into the meeting and I was looking for a sponsor. I knew I had to have one. For some reason, I was willing to do what I had been hearing. I asked a guy to sponsor me and he said no. <laughs> but he turned around, he pointed to that little guy over in the corner and he said, he will. And I looked over in the corner, I saw that guy, he had Coke bottle glasses, and I thought, what the heck does that guy got to offer me? Contempt prior to investigation, right? Little did I know that that guy right there, through God's help, was going to help me to get started. You know, once again, God is doing for me what I can't do for myself. Um, I met the guy who's to become my sponsor. You know? Is that the Prosper Country Group? Nope, that was down in the Louisville Group. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, Jesus Christ, the carpenter, has always been my Lord and Savior. The problem was I had no idea to have a, how to have a working relationship with him. The God that I had was way up there in heaven, and I was way down here. The steps of the program brought us together. You see, God's always been right there for me, and I believe working in my life. The problem was I was blind. At this point in my life, I'm ready to change. I've had worse times in my life, but I'm realizing at this point that I'm incapable of doing so on my own, so I have to have help. My sponsor told me to come to meetings daily, and he asked if I was prepared to go to any lengths. He told me he'd remind me of that later, and he did. <laughs> and the book reminds us of yeah, that That's later. right. That's right. He said we needed to meet for about an hour a week, maybe more. As we started talking and working together through the book, I found that I had a core belief in God, but my thinking was a little off. A little off like one card short of a full deck, right? That's right. <laughs> and uh, believe it or not, that's insanity. Right? A few fries short of a full that's, Happy Meal. That's right. One short of a six-pack, right? <laughs> um, you, know, the, uh, you know, I thought there was more to it than that. So anyway, step two, you know, I'm ready to turn my will and my life over to my higher power, you know, this is a major step. I had an idea who God was, but I didn't understand how to have a relationship. My sponsor told me a couple things. He said, there is a God and you're not it. And uh, he's in charge and you're not. Also, what your wife and friends think is none of your business. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll take people at their words and their actions. That's a new way for living for me. You know, I prayed the third step prayer. God, I offer myself to you to build with me and to do with me as you would. Relieve me of bondage self so I may better do your will, right? Take away my difficulties that victory over them would bear witness to those I would help of your love, your power, and your way of life. May I do your will always. At this point, I was starting to feel relief. I was laughing with the fellowship. I was starting to be able to breathe again, man. It was happening. It was working in my life. The next task is a searching and fearless moral inventory. You know, it took me about a month or so to get started. I kept asking what that fourth column was, and he said, it's your part. <laughs> you know, I wrote my life story, you know, defects, ups and downs, the battles, the information poured out. When I was finished, I called him up and I said I was ready. We met together and talked for a couple hours, step five. He told me he felt hand of God in the room. And I thought it was funny he would say that. I really did. I didn't get it, you know. But during the next week or so, this thing happened. It was, you know, this peace and this freedom came about, you know. And uh, so anyways, now I became willing and prayed for more willingness to have God remove my defects character. It says in step six that uh, this step separates the men from the boys. It gives me a goal of my life, walking in the image and likeness of my creator. And I love that. And it's a purpose-driven life. You know, I have a goal, you know. I have a goal now, you know. 
I humbly asked him to remove my shortcomings. And if you look steps at steps six and seven, they're asking for him to do what I can't do for myself, right? We're asking him to do that. Um, and him to identify, to help me identify my defects character. If I don't know what's wrong with me, I can't fix it, right? I can't have it. I can't work towards it. So that's what steps, step six and seven does. Very short line in the big book, mm-hmm. but it's there's a lot of information, so that's a good one. Um, so anyways, uh, then I start off with my men's list, step eight. Some of those I thought I was going to be making amends for, you know, some shootings, some bad drug deals, you know, mm-hmm. um, past relationships due to, uh, due to being a drug dealer, right? And uh, the first thing we did is split that list right down the middle, you know, uh, into two lists, normal relationships and, you know, drug-related sick relationships. And those I would be willing and prepared to make amends if I could in the future. But right now we're going to stick to the ones that were healthy, right? <laughs> um, so anyway, so we started with that. And, you know, good generalships required. Um, you know, one thing I was not allowed to do when I was doing my cards and getting ready to do that is I couldn't say I was sorry. He said, they know you're sorry. <laughs> we're going to apologize and we're going to, we're going to show through our actions that we're do- living differently. Um, so anyways, I had to use other words and I had to stick to the script. Um, only bringing up harms that I had done and informing them of the reason why I was doing this because I'm an alcoholic and if I don't come clean, I may drink again. The amends process is a, a very healing tool done correctly. You know, now I feel right with the world and the people in it. Step 10, when promptly admitted it. When wrong, promptly admitted it. I'm sorry. You know, my sponsor told me that if I had problems during the day to call him, and I had lots of problems lots of days. So I found I was my own worst enemy. Um, You know, I would poke fun at people, character assassinate, and uh, basically talk trash, right? I was real good at it. So I had to change this old way of behavior. You know, I can't do that stuff anymore, you know? Um, I would have a daily 10 o'clock blowout. I would call Dave. I'd tell him what these buttheads are doing to me. And he would tell me where I was wrong, you know? And where's the love, man? Yeah, you know, it just I need a little seem bit right. No, it doesn't, you know? <laughs> and um and he was honestly telling me um what I didn't want to hear. You know, I wanted somebody to side with me, you know? But he didn't play that. And that's what the sponsorship role is, you know. We have friendships, we have sponsorships. Sponsorship always trumps the friendship, right? So anyways, so I'm the problem. I created, I put myself out there. Pride and ego are a big part of this. I had to stop doing and saying these things, being the big shot. I was tired of making immediate amends, you know, and, and I also sobered up working, you know, with the people I worked with that I drank with, I sobered up in that environment. Mm. So it can be done. Imagine that. Right. Um, so anyway, slowly I'm learning how to act and react with the world. You know, this is a new way of living for me. And step 11 so now I'm improving my relationship with God, learning prayer and meditation, and it's a constant thing in my life, growing and improving, okay? I love my God with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind, but maybe I don't always act like it, right? Um, but he doesn't change. He's always faithful and forgiving, you know? So step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message and practice these principles in all my affairs. You know, since this time I've sobered up, I've had multiple spiritual experiences. Sometimes it's an event, a realization. Sometimes it's weeks will be tied together with peace and joy. Uh, I've heard a small, still voice. You know, I've been, I've been granted a glimpse into unexplainable peace. As soon as I realize it, it's gone. So I'm just one of God's kids, right? I'm nobody special. I'm a family member. And, you know, 
Um, you know, so a couple things happened once we sobered up, once I sobered up, you know, Amy and I and, and our oldest one got baptized. It was real cool together. Um, you know, um, I'm in a couple different 12 step recovery programs that I help out with, but AA is my primary go-to and I'll tell you what, it's, it's all in and it doesn't contradict anything with my religion, my, my relationship. Um, so I, I'm involved in a great church also. I've been there since 2005. Uh, and, uh, you know, the t- kids are doing very well. You know, um, we've had an opportunity to build a couple new homes. Um, I've actually been granted, I was a three-time felon. Uh, I've been granted a pardon from the governor of the state of California, so I'm no, no longer a three-time felon. It's a long process, Alcoholics Anonymous, the people in it. I actually went and heard a guy uh, up in Crested Butte, our place, right, uh, Lyle P. a few years ago, and he talked about that he had gotten a presidential pardon. I heard that from the podium, and I thought, you know what, if he can do it, maybe I can do it. So I started working on it. Well, guess what? A few le- few years later, uh, I got a pardon. Really? Yeah. Is that Mr. Jerry Brown? That it would be Mr. Moon, Moonbeam himself. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so he hooked me up, you know, and... Um, and you know, there's no reason for that. There was 14,000 people that that uh, um, that applied that year, and uh, and it had been two years before. So I don't know how many people I was in the mix with, but me and uh, 92 other people that year got a pardon. Wow, Dan! And uh, there was a guy you probably don't know him. Maybe you do know him, Robert Downing Jr. Um, I don't know. You know, they mentioned his name in the paper. They didn't mention my name, but he was one of the guys on the list. You know, I think they just had a misprint, forgot to mention me. Right. 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 But um, anyways, um, so that was pretty cool. Um, you know, uh, uh, so I'm no longer a felon. And, you know, and, uh, you know, like I said, at Lyle P and, and hearing guys get up and tell their story from the podium, it means so much, you know. Um, and one thing I didn't mention is when, back when I was 18, when I was in locked up at the boys' ranch, there was a, some people who brought a meeting in there. And I'll tell you what, I never forgot. I don't know what I read. I read some literature. But they brought a meeting, and I always knew from that point forward that there was something there for me, that there was recovery out there. So don't ever think that the meetings that you're bringing somewhere aren't helping if it doesn't happen immediately. This is years down the road, and this is a reflection on it. Um, so anyways, uh, like I say, um, life has been great. You know, I'm, I'm up there at the little Prosper Country group, and, uh, man, our group is just flourishing. A lot of great people in there um, that I get to hang out with, and uh, it's just been, it, it's been great. You know, um, uh, last couple of years, you know, we've lost a few great people in this program. You know, George C., uh, Don D., uh, you know, and, uh, you know, they died sober, you know, and that's really cool, you know. And, and um, you know, Don D., I always like to tell this story because uh, Don D., he's a good friend of mine, an old-timer from up in Prosper, and he passed away last year. Um, but he was, we were saying this, uh, the Lord's Prayer at the end of the meeting, and he, and at the end of the meeting, he, there's a pole he was leaning up against. That's important too. He says, "I got it," and it was like, "What?" And he says, "Forgiveness, man." It just dawned on me. I said, "Well, what's that?" He says, "Well, the the woman who killed my son." He said, "I realized that I need to forgive her," and this is a guy who had you know thirty something years of sobriety, who it just happened just there, just like that, just one random day, in a meeting, 
And it was beautiful. And Don D shared that story. So I share that story every chance I get because Don D was very important to me. A great guy. Um, George, George, you know, George, he was, uh, he is, he was something. He was George was a mess, right? Right. And but, for those uh, listening, George, his name is George Clark. We can say yeah. his last name because he's uh, passed on to the big yeah. meeting in the sky now. Yeah. Uh, a little over a year ago or so, yeah. he was up on a ladder doing some yeah. construction work, and that ladder fell. And he was a real, uh, oh, just a, a staple. Uh, he was. Um, how do you put it? I mean, he, he was an icon around icon. here, man. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. What else can we say? We wouldn't tell him that, but yeah. right. right. Yeah. <laughs> but a great guy, you know. And and these guys, you know, they they um, you know, George George was was so dedicated to this program, and so dedicated. And his lineage of sponsee guys, you know, they're they're dedicated, man. They're they're one, you know, and they're whole and uh, you know, some stuff, you know, you just see, you get to see from hanging out here. It's, it's, it's pretty cool, you know. And, you know, Dan, one of the things that I get a lot of people, the people, there's a lot of people who reach out to me on uh, uh, Instagram and via email and, and other uh, forms and fashions. And I never know exactly what to say to them, but one of the main challenges they have is selecting a sponsor uh, and, you know, dealing with a sponsor. And I know you sponsor a lot of guys now. You have sponsored a lot of guys throughout the years. Uh, you've done a lot of good work in that arena. So just talk to those people a little bit about sponsorship and, you know, how you went through any guidelines that you want to offer in that arena. Well, I would say now that, 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 to me, I've noticed lately a lot of these younger guys who come in here and they got some time, a you know, year or two. Man, they just freshly been through the steps. So for these people walking in, it seems like they want to levitate, levitate towards the old timer. Oh, that guy, he's like a, a guru or something. Well, I got news for you. We're not gurus. Yes, and sir. trust me, I'm not a guru. But I will tell you this. Them guys, them newer guys who, who, are, who are on fire, jump in there with them, man. And do the deal. You know, sponsorship is not a, it's not a marriage, okay? It is one beggar showing another beggar where to find crumbs, right? <laughs> that's right. And that's what it is, man. And, you know, I, you know, I don't suggest, you know, just running through a bunch of sponsors, but try a guy out. Take a chance on him and do it. Get in there and do the deal. Work through these steps, and it's a life-changing event, you know. Don't get too hung up on that. You know, I think people, they want to find the perfect person. Perfect one. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't think, I, I can tell you this. The perfect person is not out there. There's only one perfect, and he's up above. And, uh, you know, that's our Lord. So, um, oh, yeah, one more thing is I also just this last week uh, got my minister's license. So now I'm a, I'm a Baptist minister. Well, congratulations. Imagine that. So my, 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 from felon to... <laughs> <laughs> Fell into minister. Imagine that. <laughs> I guess stranger things have happened, right? That's right, but yeah. not much stranger. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's absolutely fantastic. Man. Yeah. You've come a long way, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, blessings to you. Blessings to your family. Um, continued good work. I've enjoyed our time together. Um, I'm going to have a. I'm, I'm really glad we're going to be able to share your experience, strength, and hope with the. Um, uh, Silver Speak audience here. And what I'm going to do real quick is close us out with page 164, my friend. Well, thank you for having me, John. I really enjoyed it. And, it, and thank you. And it's a pleasure and an honor to be here. And uh, thank you. 
You're quite welcome, Dan. I'm so glad you could come by. All right, page 164 says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Dan, mm-hmm. as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep, keep you, you until, until then. Yeah. Keep coming back. It works if you work it, right, Dan? Absolutely. Enjoy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Dan G., for taking time out of your schedule to come in here and sit with me to share your story with the Sober Speak listeners. I sure do appreciate it. If you want to get a message out to Mr. Dan G. or any of the other speakers, feel free to email me at John J O H N at SoberSpeak.com. All right. Now, on to a little bit of listener de la feedback, or would that be feedback de la listener? I'm not real sure, but I'm trying to kind of, I guess, mix uh, Spanish and English up there. I guess they call that Spanglish. Nonetheless, I wanted to start this with a quote from Mr. Steve R. in the Facebook group. And uh, Steve R., some of you, I'm sure a lot of you have heard me talk about him before. He posts in our secret Facebook group um, a uh, kind of a, a daily reflections type of thing almost every day. He takes a quote from the big book and then he follows it up with some commentary. And Steve R. says... This is a quote from the big book, page 93. To be vital, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. Page 93. Let me read that again. To be vital, faith must be accompanied accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. And then he writes after that, we cannot simply think our way sober, nor can our improved thinking keep us sober after we we have worked the steps. We must continue to carry the message, to be in action, to unselfishly give back that which was unselfishly given to us. Step 12 is, in essence, the whole deal. Our continued sobriety is assured if and only if each and every day we, quote, insist on giving away the entire product, unquote, page page 129 from the big book. Help one, save two, happy Thursday. You can tell he wrote that on Thursday. Thank you so much, Steve R. All right. So, in regards to the previous episode, uh, which was Bob S. Part 2, episode number 98, Bridget writes in and she says, wow, one, two, three, four, five, five exclamation points. This episode blew me away. I especially love the mic drop ending. What an amazing storyteller just Wow, all capital letters. 
And if you have not listened to part two of Bob S.'s story, episode 98 and episode 97, which was his the first part of his story, I would highly recommend going back and listening to that when you get a chance. Uh, like uh, Bridges said, it is an amazing story. Rye wrote in, and this, Rye wrote in last week, and I don't know if you guys remember, I actually started the episode from last week with uh, her story, and she says, thanks, John. Actually, that was two weeks ago. Thanks, John. Guess what? And I had to share this, and now I promise I'll leave you alone. <laughs> you are not bothering me at all, Miss Rye. You write in when Ever you would like. She said, I'm visiting my family in Salida, Colorado, a couple of hours from where your friends are in the mountains at Crested Butte. Yes, I remember that uh, city. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. We drive through it. It's called Salida, S-A-L-I-D-A. She says, anyway, and I'm spreading the word of sober speak in between meetings. During this visit, I am determined to teach a lesson to my father on how to work this podcast app thing. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that's a lot of fun. Anyway, she says, uh, for podcast listen lesson number one, I coincidentally landed on the Bob S. episode. That was the Bob S. part one she's talking about. You had read my email and Bob S. had us in tears listening, listening to yet and another and an, and another, excuse me, incredible recovery journey share. True story, hashtag look at God, keep bringing the rooms together, and namaste hands, your grateful friend, Rye. Well, thank you for writing in, Rye, and I'm glad you enjoyed Bob S., and I hope, I hope that you got your uh, dad straightened up on that uh, podcast app. Cassandra writes in again regarding Bob S. Part 2, which is episode 98. She said, I was listening to Bob S.'s story yesterday. My jaw hit the floor. I immediately started to cry, just tears of disbelief and awe, because I know that couldn't have happened without the work of God. I agree, Miss Cassandra. She says a much needed release after a hard week of work, too, but it just blew me away totally. I get it. Uh, and I'm so fortunate that I get to sit across the table from some of these wonderful stories of recovery. And thank you for writing in, Cassandra. Chris C. writes in, and Chris says, can you add me to the secret Facebook group? Of course we can, Chris. Also, it is Brenda J. Is that Brenda J. who will be featured at the next Sober Speak Live event on December 6th in Frisco? Well, yes, it is, Chris. He says she is delightful. Her story brought tears to my eyes in a good way, exclamation point. In particular, the piece about her having reached a place in her journey where her relationship, a loving God of her understanding, is all that she needs to be content. 
Very well put by Miss Brenda, and I'm glad you caught that, Mr. Chris. This anecdote reminded me of a good good friend who sadly recently succumbed to pancreatic cancer. He shared with me that once his desire to reach such a place and he felt that he was nearing that destination, he understood that such a freedom from want and desire could truly be considered enlightenment. I had not spoken to him in a few years when I learned of his recent death, but something tells me that he arrived at the place before his death, at that place before his death, and is now in a better place free of suffering. What a great reminder from Miss Brenda J. of this, quote, great fact. Well, thank you, Chris, for writing that, for writing that in, for writing in with that. And then he says, the central fact of our, and he's quoting page 39 from the big book here. He says, the central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous once again. Page 39 from the big book, Chris C. Thanks for writing that in. Sorry to hear about your friend, Chris, but um, I do believe the same thing for what it's worth. Jason F. writes in from Canada, the great white north, and he says, Hi, John. I love your podcast, and I look forward to listening while I walk my dogs. I love to know what people are doing when they're when they're listening to the podcast, and I'm glad that you and your dogs are having a good time while you are listening to my podcast. Nonetheless, I enjoy listening to your interviews with your guests. You have a gracious and humble interview style, and that does not interfere with the guest narrative. I am interested in hearing your story, and I bet more listeners would be interested as well. Are there any recordings of you speaking or perhaps having the tables turned and being interviewed by someone else? Please sign me up for the super secret Facebook group and thank you for your service. Regards, Jason F. from Canada. A. No, what's the was A. I'm sorry. I'm so I'm trying hard to do something Canadian at the last second, and I'm screwing up royally. Nonetheless, but by the way, when you say super secret Facebook group, I absolutely love that. But I want to let you know I'm not the one that came up with that. Uh, our friend Dave actually in the super secret Facebook group called it that one day, and uh, I'm so thankful that he did. Um, and in regards to <clears throat> me and having the tables turned on me and interviewed me and. I emailed you back and I told you this, but for whatever reason, I have just not been comfortable. Uh, it's not that I, I'm ashamed of my story or don't want to tell it or anything like that, but it's just weird for me to have my podcast, have someone interview me and say, hey, here's about me. Uh, and I have been interviewed on this other, uh, on several other uh, podcasts and I've been recorded before uh, and I kind of told you where to find those things. But uh, if somebody's really curious about th- that, just write to me and, and, and I'll let you know. Uh, but it's not all that interesting. Anyway, uh, Jason K writes in, not Jason F, but Jason K. And he says, hello, John. My name is Jason K. I'm a recovering alcoholic with 1,600 consecutive days of of sobriety. 
Though I still consider myself a newcomer, as I am always learning more and more each day. Amen, Brother Jason. I'm a member of the 1500 group in Houston, Texas, and I was told about your podcast from some group members. You're pretty popular down here in Houston. So I'm just thinking about this. So when you had 1500 days, I know you have 1600 days now, but when you had 1500 days and you go into your group, the 1500 group in Houston, Texas, and say, I have 1500 days, is it like an extra celebration because the numbers match up? I'm going off track again, but I just thought of that. Anyway, he he says, Jason K says, I love the podcast, the speakers, and the fact that it feels like I'm listening to a friend. Oh, I'm so glad to know that. I would love to be added to the Facebook group, and my email is such and such. A huge thank you for doing what you do with the podcast. You keep them coming, and I'll keep listening. Well, that is a deal, Mr. Jason K. Take care and God bless you, John. Jason, sent from my iPhone, sent from my iPhone X. I probably don't need to add that part on there, but I don't know. Is there sent from my iPhone X? But I just went ahead and did it. Anyway, Katie G writes in and she says, Hi John. I had been I have been receiving the transitions daily for a while, but one day I was behind on meetings and found myself slipping. I look into podcasts and I came across Sober Speak and Steve G was the speaker. I was instantly hooked into what he was saying. So much of what he said I could relate to. And then I heard his podcast and I found out his name was similar to mine. It's the same as mine. And I felt I should listen to the podcast. So as my job interferes with meetings, I listen to you and the incredible speakers you have. I feel a connection with them all. And I come away with much more understanding about the fellowship. It has helped me to see what I want in a sponsor and honestly has helped me through a big low point. That's good to know. Uh, Now on to my story. I'm 38 years old and a mother of two, a long, saddened line of alcoholics with a childhood riddled in an abusive nature. I had promised I would never drink, but yet, of course, I found it and it consumed me. Not until 1-22 of 2019 did I finally hit my enough. That was the day before my last drink, and hours after that, I was on the highway to going to see someone. I couldn't take it anymore. I was defeated to no end, and I unbuckled my seatbelt and prepared to dive in to the off-ramp. Something guided me off the highway and to my destination. That night, the tremors were awful, but I was still in denial and still determined. I was hyper hypoglycemic. The next day I reached out to someone I saw on Facebook. She took me to a meeting. Someone I knew was sober on Facebook. She took me to a meeting. The next evening I took myself to a meeting. That evening I spoke and said I was an alcoholic. I unloaded all of my control into tears of defeat, sadness, and freedom. For once I felt lighter. A lot of people can relate to that. I could breathe. I was no longer treading water, gasping for breath. As time has gone on, my children are better. I feel so much like the life inside of me. 
I have the rough. I have rough days, and I feel I fell back into into despair. But God took me to a meeting, and all the women there felt just like me. Around here is a meeting where we talk about unconditional sobriety, and that's how I like to think of mine. My sobriety is conditional. Oh, excuse me. My sobriety is unconditional, just as my children's love for me is and my love for them are. Nothing can steal that away. Nothing so bad can bring me back there. I fought this for 23 years, and I wanted to die for 25 with almost unsuccessful attempts. I spent my entire life only surviving. I now spend it living. I love my God, AA, and all of you who take time with your podcast. Oh, thank you, Katie. Forever grateful, your listening friend, Katie G. 122 of 2019. One more thing. While in my slump, I recently listened to your live podcast and the Don't Worry Be Happy song pulled me right out of it. Well, that's good to know. Thank you so much, Katie. Lisa writes in and she says, uh, John, I live in DFW, the DFW area, that Dallas-Fort Worth area. I am a friend of Bill W's and a member of the Lake Highlands group of Dallas, uh, Lake Highlands group in the Dallas area. I started listening to Sober Speak a couple of years ago. I believe that it's definitely one of my go-to podcasts for sober support. I know it takes a lot of work to create whatever you are doing every week. Thank you, exclamation point. I am a longtime community builder, life coach, and facilitator, and I've been on my recovery path for nearly four years now. However, it wasn't until I finally surrendered and, tr- and stopped trying to solve my alcohol and drug problem alone that I got myself into the rooms and I've been able to stay sober. That is so good to know, Lisa. I also had to finally smash the idea of maybe possibly, hopefully drinking now and then. Yeah, that didn't work too well. I always thought AA was great for, quote, you guys, unquote, but I'll figure this out. Thank you very much. Needless to say, I took a roundabout route to my recovery. Now I'm surrendered and plugged in to working a program and working with others. This keeps me sober and recovering day by day. The program of AA has been instrumental and so has your podcast. I'm so very grateful. I'm also launching a project called Sober is the New Black Events and Experiences to provide fun and inspiring alcohol-free social events in DFW for sober and sober sober curious people, and I'm pretty excited about it. I'm looking forward to be to supporting and supporting others in the secret Facebook group. Bright bright blessings, Lisa. Oh, I like that. I've never heard that. Bright blessings. And if anybody wants to know something about the sober is the new black events and experiences, I think you can look it up for Facebook or if you need to write in to me and let me know, I'm glad to hook you up with Lisa. Okay. Alex R. writes in and he says, Hi, John. My name is Alex R. Sobriety at 8 is July 7th of two. 2012, and I live in Temecula, California. My home group is the Robbers Roost. 
Robert's Roost in Vista, California. I wonder how that name came about. Nonetheless, I have seven years of sobriety and have struggled the last three or four years with staying connected with my higher power and staying active in recovery, meaning doing my readings and praying in the morning. I have been on my own and we all know that that leads to disaster with everything around us. I have four kids and a wife who have walked on eggshells in the past three years due to me putting AA second. After conversing with my sponsor and taking a more proactive role in recovery, in other words, doing my readings and prayings, uh, praying and doing more AA stuff with my free time, I have managed to regain the connection with God and AA again. I have an hour plus commute to and from work, and I decided I needed to listen to recovery during that time. My son suggests that I find something on a podcast, and I stumbled across Sober Speak. And the first episode I listened to was with Gary Kay. And wow, all capital letters, I was sold and I have been listening ever since. Thank you. This is truly my meeting between meetings. If you could add me to the super secret Facebook group, I sure would appreciate it. Sincerely, Alex are. Well, we got you in that uh, super secret Facebook group, and thank you for writing in. Thank you for being vulnerable about your life there, Alex. I'd sure do appreciate it. Dylan writes in, and this is last but not least. Dylan writes in, and Dylan says, oh, I'm sorry, I lost it. There he's My name is Dylan L. I am an alcoholic and an addict. I am currently 46 days sober. My sponsor actually sent me Gary Kay's podcast and I fell in love with the message and the podcast. I am recently separate I'm a recently separated father of 3 kids. I am a haul truck operator up at Detour Gold Mine site up in northern Ontario, Canada. I run a 795 haul truck, which is one of the largest haul trucks on the planet. I am currently using Gary's podcast to get a real good grasp of step three so I can hammer out my moral inventory. I want this new life. I have discovered more than the desire to drink. I know I have a long way to go, but there it is. Dylan with a big old heart sent from my iPhone. Well, Dylan, keep trucking. Hey, no pun intended. Well, maybe there was a pun intended. Nonetheless, all right, everybody. That is the end of listener de la feedback or feedback de la listener for this week. Once again, thank you so much for listening in. I will most likely be back next week. Um, I say every week is one week at a time. Anyway, God bless you. Keep coming back. It works if you work it, folks.